Chapter Four of How to Live on Twenty Four Hours a Day by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Cause of the Troubles. In order to come to grips at once with the question of time expenditure in all its actuality, I must choose an individual case for examination. I can only deal with one case and that case cannot be the average case because there is no such case as the average case just as there is no such man as the average man every man and every man's case is special but if i take the case of a londoner who works in an office whose office hours are from ten to six and who spends fifteen minutes morning and night in traveling between his house door and his office door I shall have got as near to the average as facts permit. There are men who have to work longer for a living, but there are others who do not have to work so long. Fortunately, the financial side of existence does not interest us here. For our present purpose, the clerk at a pound a week is exactly as well off as the millionaire in Carlton House Terrace. Now the great and profound mistake which my typical man makes in regard to his day is a mistake of general attitude, a mistake which vitiates and weakens two-thirds of his energies and interests. In the majority of instances he does not precisely feel a passion for his business. At best he does not dislike it. He begins his business functions with reluctance as late as he can and he ends them with joy as early as he can and his engines while he is engaged in his business are seldom at their full hp i know that i shall be accused by angry readers of traducing the city worker but i am pretty thoroughly acquainted with the city and i stick to what i say Yet in spite of all this he persists in looking upon those hours from ten to six as the day, to which the ten hours preceding them and the six hours following them are nothing but a prologue and epilogue. Such an attitude, unconscious though it be, of course kills his interest in the odd sixteen hours, with the result that, even if he does not waste them, he does not count them. He regards them simply as margin. This general attitude is utterly illogical and unhealthy, since it formally gives the central prominence to a patch of time and a bunch of activities which the man's one idea is to get through and have done with. If a man makes two-thirds of his existence subservient to one-third, for which admittedly he has no absolute feverish zest how can he hope to live fully and completely he cannot if my typical man wishes to live fully and completely he must in his mind arrange a day within a day and this inner day a chinese box in a larger chinese box must begin at six p m and end at ten a m it is a day of sixteen hours, and during all these sixteen hours he has nothing whatever to do but cultivate his body and his soul and his fellow men. During those sixteen hours he is free. He is not a wage earner. He is not preoccupied with monetary cares. He is just as good as a man with a private income. 
This must be his attitude. And his attitude is all-important. His success in life, much more important than the amount of estate upon what his executors will have to pay estate duty, depends on it. What? You say that full energy given to those sixteen hours will lessen the value of the business eight? Not so. On the contrary, it will assuredly increase the value of the business eight. One of the chief things which my typical man has to learn is that the mental faculties are capable of a continuous hard activity. They do not tire like an arm or a leg. All they want is change, not rest, except in sleep. I shall now examine the typical man's current method of employing the sixteen hours that are entirely his, beginning with his uprising. I will merely indicate things which he does, and which I think he ought not to do, postponing my suggestions for planting the times which I shall have cleared, as a settler clears spaces in a forest. In justice to him I must say that he wastes very little time before he leaves the house in the morning at nine-ten. In too many houses he gets up at nine, breakfasts between nine-seven and nine-nine-and-a-half, and then bolts. But immediately he bangs the front door, his mental faculties, which are tireless, become idle. He walks to the station in a condition of mental coma. Arrived there, he usually has to wait for the train. On hundreds of suburban stations every morning, you see men calmly strolling up and down platforms while railway companies unblushingly rob them of time, which is more than money. Hundreds of thousands of hours are thus lost every day simply because my typical man thinks so little of time that it has never occurred to him to take quite easy precautions against the risk of its loss. He has a solid coin of time to spend every day, call it a sovereign. He must get change for it, and in getting change he is content to lose heavily. Supposing that in selling him a ticket the company said, We will charge you a sovereign, but we will charge you three halfpence for doing so. What would my typical man exclaim? Yes, that is the equivalent of what the company does when it robs him of five minutes twice a day. You say I am dealing with minutia. I am. And later on I will justify myself. Now, will you kindly buy your paper and step into the train? End of chapter 4